Hello, and welcome to the Neurodivergent Leader Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Heather Lynn Wagner and Donna McLaughlin. We believe that everyone deserves access to opportunities for leadership development and personal growth. That is why we are on a mission to destigmatize difference, identify challenges, improve outcomes, and empower neurodivergent talent with the tools to become the authentic leaders they were meant to be. We want to provide a safe space for the open-minded exploration and celebration of neurodiverse minds. We will spotlight the narratives of neurodivergent leaders, advocates, and experts, and share our own stories about educating, raising, and loving neurodivergent children. We will dive deep to reveal the challenges of being neurodivergent in a neurotypical world and discover the power of shifting from a negative viewpoint that focuses on deficits and brokenness to a more compassionate paradigm that promotes strength, acceptance, and access. We will challenge your concepts about leadership and who or what makes a great leader. We will lean into the discovery of who we are and who we aren't so that we can commit to our truth and become the best version of ourselves we can be. By the end of this venture, you will have the tools and actionable steps to activate your own exciting and individualized leadership plan. Whether you're an aspiring leader, entrepreneur, professional, or parent raising future leaders, we will have something for everyone. Thank you for joining us. Let's dive right in. Okay, so welcome to the next episode of Neurodivergent Leader Podcast. Today, our guest is Jennifer Major. And to give you a little bit of her background, she is a holistic organization and productivity specialist who helps women business owners who feel overwhelmed by the chaos in their lives and homes and are tired of being busy, but are ready to make long lasting changes for the life and business they really want. She's on a mission to help you have your own back through supportive systems built around your unique values and needs, because she believes we all deserve clutter-free spaces and more times for naps and money. I am all for naps and money. So welcome, Jennifer. Why don't you start out by telling us a little bit more about you besides just the, the bio? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So my background started with a degree in psychology, which meant that I could go to grad school, right? <laughs> And rather than going the therapy route or the research route, I went the HR route and did that in a lot of different capacities throughout my career, consulting in-house, and and really just loved that intersection of the process and the people part. And when I went out on my own almost 18 years ago, I just, like I wanted, (laughs) I was working, doing HR for a lot of small businesses, and I was not always the favorite person. Like I was a little bit the Grim Reaper. So when people would see me, it was because somebody was in trouble or that kind of thing. Everything else happened behind the scenes. And so I just wanted to do something fun. And so I started to do organizing. And because it was just what I naturally did for friends and fell in love with it. And several years ago, gave up the HR completely and, you know, headfirst into all things organizing The thing that I found the most with my clients, with my family, is that it's, it really is not a templated system, right? 
you know, and, and that's how so many organizers in these shows and all that stuff like presented. It's like, well, if you just get this basket or you just get this set of folders, then like magic's going to happen. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. And that there tends to be this sort of shame stuff that, that happens because like, oh, well, the system's not working. So it must be me that's broken as opposed to it's just not the right system for me. And so that's when I really have started to dive a little bit more into kind of really what's behind that and, and pulling out from my background and my experience in education and, and piecing all that together. That's amazing. Um, I'm actually really good at setting up systems, not good at following them or I will break I've been called a system breaker as like my superpower, but then I don't know how many organ. I literally went to Ikea yesterday to buy more organizational bins for the basement <laughs> that I already have organizational bins for to reorganize it again. Yeah. So how do you tell me a little bit about how you work with that? Well, <laughs> it's funny because every time I start with a new client, especially in-person clients, but but I do a lot more obviously virtually now. And they're always like, do I need to go get baskets or bins? I was like, no, you probably have plenty right? We can work with what you've got. You can always replace and, and switch out because I, everybody tries so many different things and it's not the basket or the bin that's going to make you organized. It's, it's kind of what's laying underneath that. It's not about the shelf looking pretty, right? That feels good. The shelf being labeled makes it easy to find things and put things back, but it's about the values underneath. And so where I start is with a value-based decision-making model. And it's an absolute game changer because it allows you to not have the decision fatigue that you get in the organizing process. So if we talk about the closet, I like to pick on the closet because we, we've all got it and it always feels overwhelming. Like if I said, okay, Heather, go in and let's organize your closet in the next 15 minutes, you'd be like, uh... Okay, where do I start, right? It feels super overwhelming. And most people would just start literally one thing at a time trying to make independent decisions about those different pieces of clothing. Well, that's really dang hard. And by the time you get to number 10 or 11, you're exhausted. And and it feels like somebody's making you get rid of things, right? Which is like, you're the one who's choosing to do this, right? Nobody's making you get rid of anything. So when you start with value-based decision-making, it's looking at your closet as both a space and the clothes. So in the space, I want it to be light and bright. I want it to be beautiful. I want it to feel like a boutique, right? Well, I may have a three foot by five foot closet. Well, that's not going to look like a boutique, right? Because that next step is a priority thing. So it's like, well, okay, so maybe I just invest in a beautiful hanger, right? And that makes it feel more like a boutique, right? Because I have matching hangers. And then with my clothes, I make the decision that, okay, I want things that fit. I want things that feel good. I want things that don't have tears, stains, holes, any of that. And, and I want to have a variety of colors as well as some good basics. Okay, well, now my decision's made, right? And now you don't just walk into the closet and start you have to sort first, right? So there's there's the value-based decision-making and then there's the tools that you use to, to make it easier. 
And, and that's where, like I say all the time, like you can do this in 10 minutes at a time because now you just go through and you sort, right? The tops and bottoms together. Okay. Well, that took 10 minutes. I'll come back in the next 10 minutes. I'll put the sleeveless, the short sleeve and the long sleeve together. Great. In the next 10 minute slot, then I'm going to put them in color order. I've still not made any decisions, right? Other than is this blue or purple maybe, right? Now, if you're colorblind, that can get a little challenging. My daughter is colorblind. And so sometimes the sorting gets a little hit or miss. But then you just start with, okay, well, I'm going to start with my white short sleeve shirts. And then you're just testing them against that decision set that's already been made. It's not making a new independent decision. And so, and, and you're deciding what you're keeping and what fits your values. And then everything else that doesn't, it feels good about it going away. Because it's like, ooh, look at the stuff that didn't fit my what I want for this space. And so it feels really good, but it's also really easy to maintain. Because then when you're out at the store and you're like, ooh, that's a really cute shirt, right? It's on sale. I've been wanting something in that color. And you try it on and you're like, mm, I'm not sure how I feel. And it's like, it feels fussy then all of a sudden your brain's going to remind you like, wait a minute, I only wanted things that made me feel good and that feel good on me. This is a no. And I'm going to feel good about that, right? And so it, it helps not just with that, that backlog organizing, that project organizing, but it also helps with the maintenance. And so that, you know, in an everyday space that looks like, you know, rather than doing the, well, I'm going to put this glass here for now, and you think, you know what? Like, I wanted my office space to stay clean and tidy. I'm going to just go run this to the kitchen real quick, right? Rather than creating a for now stack that, you know, is going to be five cups of tea that are half empty by the end of the week. And so that's where that value-based decision-making comes in. And I found that for all people, it's helpful but particularly for those in the neurodivergent community and dealing with chronic illness, because both sort of sit with different challenges of like that, that impetus, that desire to be organized isn't always present. They like the feeling when it's done, but the, the interactive process is not something that they're necessarily motivated to do. And I think you touched on a few key things. I just want to highlight them and tease them out for a second. And then I want to jump into the neurodiversity piece. But there's decision fatigue, which is something that neurodivergents deal with a lot. All the time. There is overwhelm. And then like that um, immobilization. Like I can't even start because they don't know where to start. Right. The emotional overwhelm mm -hmm. of having you get so attached to certain things. And like, I know I had to actually hire someone come with me to organize my office. And we had to chunk it down into 30 minute segments to get me to throw certain things away. Things that I had held on to for like seven years mm -hmm. that I was never going to do, but there was an emotional judgment. Like I'm hanging on to that because I should have done it back then. And I didn't, but somehow if I hang on to it, I, I can lie to myself that I'm going to do it one day. Right. Because I have to forgive myself for not having done it seven years ago. So like, I think 
in all of those little spaces, I think everyone kind of deals with those things, but neurodivergent people for sure. in general, those tend to be some really key places. So I just wanted to highlight that it's really beautiful that when you're using a value system and chunking it down, it becomes based more on authenticity, which is one of our pillars of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, like, who am I really? How do I want to live my life really? And how can I use organization to support that versus right. fix what I'm doing wrong or something like right. that? So, so tell me more how neurodivergence and neurodiversity shows up in your life. So I am very likely an undiagnosed inattentive. (laughs) Um, I never really thought of it until my daughter was diagnosed. And then I was like, hmm, I'm seeing some similarities here. (laughs) And my mom is definitely an undiagnosed. And so it's just, you know, and, and the combination of where that inattentive intersects with the anxiety and how they play with each other in just the most wicked of ways is just, you know, I I see that all the time in my youngest and it's, and she's 16 now. And so it's just, it's really, really challenging some days, you know, and like, you feel like, okay, we're to a good place. She's got her study habits down, that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden she has a growth spurt or things change at school or something else happens. And it's like, oh my God, we're two again. Right. Like, you know, we're starting all over and I'm pretty sure you had this executive function before. So where the heck did it go? Right. And so because it's it's all layers. And so I've come to appreciate it even more seeing her grow through that because I've had lots of neurodivergent clients because honestly, that community is is who needs the organization the most that and chronic illness, right? Like the, again, so so many similar challenges and it's also so dang hard to get there. And so it's just, you know, like I just find so much love for being able to find those little wins and that, Oh, that makes that so much easier. That's more fun now. You know, those kinds of things are just, little fantastic bonuses that get layered in. I love that you're tapping into those metacognitive pieces too, because those are the ones that people hang on to the longest when you tap into those values, when you raise self-awareness, right. And you, and you increase buy-in to the process, then that helps it become a a long lasting habit and routine rather than an obligation or an activity that they have to do. Absolutely. Well, and And I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, really, by the time you're three, you can create a value set. It's going to look different than it will at five and then 12 and, you know, 20. But it's still, it still can be there. Now, you have to help them articulate, perhaps. But, you know, most three-year-olds want a place where they can sit and, you know, have their books and they can play and they can spread out their toys and then they can find their toys. They may they might not say they want a clear space ever, but they'll say like, I want to be able to find my Legos when I want them. I want to be able to find my trucks or my dolls or whatever when I want them. Okay, well, that means that they're, they're craving some structure. They're craving some organization. And, and structure doesn't have to mean rigidity because I think so many people see organization as like, 
okay, it's very rigid and it has to be this particular system and it has to be this particular way. No, it's, it's however you choose to design it for your life. And it's yeah, and I, very personal. I, I was going to say, I think a lot of us neurodivergents tend to bring perfectionism to the table. And so it's this idea, well, if I can't keep it perfect, then what's the point? You know, right. you know, it's interesting. You touched on like three-year-olds having these desires and not able to communicate it. I have a nine month old. And what I noticed is, you know, we had a few toys when she was really little because I don't really do much, but now that she's getting older, we're starting to accumulate toys. When her toys are dumped out, we have like one of those giant nine foot play pens. When all her toys are dumped out, I notice she gets really whiny and cranky and overwhelmed. And mm -hmm. when I put all the toys back in the toy box and only take out one or two at a time, all of a sudden she's more engaged and she's more present. And I'm like, wow, this is fascinating to observe. And so I try to help, which is another reason why I'm doing this organization project, but I'm trying to create a space for her where we can take those one or a few things out at a time, but then have them accessible. I just find that fascinating that you can even see it in the youngest of kids. So I had asked you um, a specific question to ask, and I love the question you gave me, which was, how does space, schedule, and spirit intersect? Yes, it's absolutely one of my favorite things to talk about because I think we tend to see our spaces and not necessarily attach them to anything else. Or we see our schedules and not attach them to anything else. And 30 years ago, things were a little bit less fluid than they are now, right? Like we went to work and you couldn't have any personal conversations at work. And if you needed to take a personal phone call, you had to take, you know, that just at your lunch break and that kind of, you know, like things were more compartmentalized than they are now. And that's, you know, both good and bad, right? Like there's, there's challenges that come with that fluidity as much as there are benefits. But our, our space and our schedule very much are intertwined because if you can't find your keys in the morning when you're trying to get out of the house, and you found a mismatched pair of shoes and you realize that you ran out of diapers and now you're not, you're starting off your day just in a hot mess and you're not going to show up well for your clients. You're not going to show up well for yourself at work. You're not going to even transition into whatever that next thing was for yourself because you're going to be flustered. You're going to just and so then now you're probably leaving late so now that's bumping your schedule and then you know off it goes right and being able to get those things more harmonious really helps because i don't i don't believe in balance because balance you know i mean think about like a seesaw or teeter-totter right like Something's up, something's down. I, be I believe in harmony and sort of a running average, right? Like you're going to have some crappy days. You're going to, you know, lose your keys sometimes. Like that's just, that's just going to happen sometimes. But if it's happening consistently, then there's something to fix, right? Sometimes your three-year-old just takes the keys and hides them. And that happens. Yeah. <laughs> and so, okay, well, if they have that little bit of a precocious attitude and you think like, okay, they really got a lot of joy out of that. Let me put my keys higher 
let me create a new system now because there have to be, you know, different seasons for things. And so being able to have that, that calm and that sanctuary in your space and have some predictability on, I know where to find things when I need them, how I need them allows your brain to not have to worry about those things. And particularly for the neurodivergent brain, it's just so many less things to have to manage and process. And then with the schedule, we tend to pack our days. And I know nobody else can see us, but I'm going to show y'all. I love to talk about time with Legos. So because most of us tend to stick our blocks right up next to each other where there's no space in between. And so then now when we're running late because we can't find the keys and all that, well, then now the whole thing gets bumped. Whereas if we had a little bit more space in between, now we've got some flex, right? But we also tend to book our entire day. It's like, okay, well, I work from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Okay, so let me book appointments and all of that. Okay, well, when are you going to work? When are you going to go to the bathroom? When are you going to breathe? When are you going to get some water? You know, oh, yeah, lunch, right? And really only about 40% of our day should be truly scheduled. Right, 40% of our day should be truly scheduled. It doesn't mean that we don't have other tasks and needs in the rest of the day, but they're not hard appointments. And so that allows us that flex to be able to tackle things in little bites, to be able to really manage that schedule with the same clarity that we want in our space. Because, you know, you don't want a whole bunch of clutter in your space. Well, that's what we do with our schedules is we put a whole bunch of clutter on there. The same value-based system works on our schedules. What do you want to spend your time on in each of your different buckets of your life and business? And then the spirit ties into all of that because we know that when we do things to fill ourselves up and self-care and all of that, like it's good for us. Well, if you've got a crazy day and you're starting off your day not being able to find your keys, well, that spirit or energy, whatever you want to call it, is out the window. Like now you're super cranky and it takes a whole lot more to recover that. And you've probably shared some of that ick with others, right? And so now you're going to have to spend extra energy to recover yourself, but then also to recover the others potentially. And so if we can make that space easier to live in, we can make that schedule more flexible for us to where when we can't find our keys, it's not a massive deal. It's annoying. But it's easier to say, you know what? No big deal. I've got some extra time. Let me just go grab the extra set of keys. And we just move on, right? And it doesn't create a fuss. Then our spirit stays better intact. And by doing all of those things too and not creating that clutter and that chaos in our space and in our schedule, we also have more time to schedule in things that fill that spirit. You know, whether that's naps, whether that's reading a book, going for a walk, whatever it is. And I found that particularly in that neurodivergent community that it's so critical to have those times to go, you know, put your 
put your feet on the ground, put your hands on the dirt, go for a short walk, something to expend some of that, that sort of energy that just feels like it's floating on you and, and just needs to sort of like be brushed off. Like, okay, I don't need this anymore, but if you just stay in the same space, it's, it's just going to build. And so, um, so it's, they all really work together. And if one of them is really off, then the others start to feel pulled. Right. But one of them can also be really strong and help to shore up the others. You know, right now you're doing an organizing project in your basement. That's, that's purposeful chaos, right? Yeah. You created that chaos on purpose and with good intention. And so, okay, well, what can I do on these other two in the meantime to sort of help create a little bit better harmony and, and that not feel quite as crazy? So I think what's important about what you just said, Jennifer, too, is if you don't schedule your um, chaos, then your chaos can sometimes overflow into a longer period of time than you originally intended, which then impacts your spirit for a lot longer. So if you don't have a set idea about, okay, I'm going to do this project and it just becomes a indefinite, right? Now right. it's gone on a week and now you're completely overwhelmed and completely stressed out for seven days solid instead of just saying from the get-go, how long is this going to take me? How am I going to devote my energy and what's compartmentalized periods of time? And then when is it going to be over so that right. I can move on to the next thing? Then your brain has a time to settle and that anxiety gets lowered overall. For sure. For sure. Well, and and we tend to see things in massive projects. Okay, I'm going to organize my whole closet as opposed to let me just go through my short sleeve shirts. And then the next micro project is I'm going to go through my long sleeve shirts. And after the micro projects are all done, then your closet is organized. But, you know, it, it feels like, okay, well, I'm going to have to just take off a day and spend the whole day working on this. And nobody's got that time or attention. Just, except for people who are professional organizers like me, like, you know, like I literally could spend all day organizing things and think that was just the greatest day ever. But most people aren't like that. And, and it's exhausting. And so physically and mentally. And so being able to break that down into little bits and getting support with it, whether it's from a professional organizer, whether it's from a friend or a family member who is not as attached to that space is really huge because it's really easy. I mean, one of the things I talk about, and I know this is talked about so much in the neurodiverse community is squirreling. And I mean, so much so that like, I actually have like actual little squirrels all over the place <laughs> because squirreling happens so easy. I mean, obviously within a tent of it happens in your mind, right? And there's only so much you can do about that. But the physical squirreling can help the mental squirreling. You know, and, and saying, okay, I'm going to work for 10 minutes in this space and I'm not leaving this space unless I'm bleeding, broken, or have to pee, right? But I'm going to prevent some of that by trying to be careful. I'm going to put on my tennis shoes so that, you know, my feet are taken care of. And I'm going to go to the bathroom before I start and get a glass of water so that I'm minimizing the distractions from the beginning. And for 10 minutes, I'm going to stay in this space. And do you and, recommend setting timers, Jennifer? Oh so that gosh. people can, yes. yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And ideally, 
like a digital timer. I'm not a big fan of timers on your phones. Yeah. Particularly for nerd Increases the distraction. Right. Now, you can do that as a secondary timer if you feel like you need a backup. You can set your music on there and, and set the timer to where it turns the music off at the end of that time. Because a lot of times you need to, you want to reference, okay, well, how long have I been working? Well, if you do that and then you pick up your phone to check that, well, then all of a sudden you're seeing the notifications and woo, there's come the squirrels. And so having just a regular timer that you can check kind of where you are on that time, that's all you can do on there. And make it fun. Like set a timer, turn on some music and, and make it fun or turn on a podcast or something, right? It doesn't have to be painful and boring. You can have a dance party and organize at the same time. You can sing and organize at the same time. You know, you can chat with a friend on the phone and organize at the same time. And often for the neurodivergent mind, that's easier because having that extra input helps to create that focus. So I feel a little called out over here. <laughs> my week long basement cleaning organizing project that my phone distracted me five times. I mean, even starting the project was a squirrel move. Like I need to organize the basement. So thanks guys. But I actually learned yeah. a lot. So I'm going to apply. <laughs> well, and what's interesting order- is, is you're talking to an organization specialist and executive function coach. So we're, we have a little <laughs> bit more control over our, you know, our ability to do these things a little better than most people, because that's part of what we do every day in our jobs. So yeah. no shame, no shame. No, I know. Thank you for bringing that because that was where I wanted to segue to. Yeah. Okay. So two things came up out of all of that. And I was like, Oh, I want to ask her this. You in your bio said something about like shame and the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And as I was listening to you, like what has been coming up a lot with my clients lately, my female clients are complaints about mental load. So when you're talking about walking out the door and I lost my keys and I need to order diapers and I need to do all this stuff and then how much mental load we carry. So I just would love to hear like, you work with women business owners. How do you help them overcome mental load and shame and all of that? Because I, I know it's it's hard. And I sometimes don't know what to tell my clients other than it's the patriarchy. Like, what do we do? Well, I mean, here's the thing is that the patriarchy created this idea that women are helpers. And even pre-patriarchy, right? Caveman days, right? Women were the helpers. We were there caring for the children. I mean, some of that was because we made the children and we had to feed the children. Nobody else could do that. And so some of it came honest and and some of it came from BS. So there is this guilt and shame. and And I have found that in the younger generations, it seems to be less than like I'm Gen X. I'm 49. And I think our generation is very confused because... Our parents were somewhere between the June Cleaver and feminism. And so, like, trying to figure out what those roles really looked like. And and I think we're still figuring some of that out. But I think there is this assumption that as women, we are good at organizing. We are good at projects. We are good. We, we know 
like scientifically, we know that we are better at multitasking and and being able to manage a lot of different pieces, right? Men very much compartmentalize. They do one silo at a time. Scientifically, we know this, right? Yep. And so when you look at household management, you look at family management, you look at business management. Well, no wonder there's that assumption. And some of it is because many of us are really dang good at it. Even when we're not, we're still pretty dang good at it. And and then we just assume that it's our role. And so then our partners don't take that on because we assume it. And because we don't build in good systems, you know, I mean, like I hear all the time, if they would just empty the dishwasher, (laughs) if they could just put up the laundry, right? Like it would just like, don't get me flowers, empty the dishwasher. Okay. But here's the thing is that most of the time, not all the time, sometimes they're just doofuses, but most of the time they're not emptying the dishwasher because they're afraid of messing up. And upsetting us, which seems crazy because we're like, dude, I don't care if you put something in the wrong place, like just empty the dang dishwasher. But they, they have this fear of doing it wrong. They're conditioned to do things right and that they're judged if they don't. And so we've got to, you know, as, as the people who tend to be the household managers, If we want to do less of that household management, we have to make it easier for others to help. And so that's creating systems, that's creating labels, and then that's helping others to build in that habit. I'm talking like putting post-it notes on the outside of the kitchen cabinets, that this is where the plates go, this is where the cups go, this is where, right? And as they get used to it, then those can go on the inside. And then at some point, you may or may not leave labels on the inside or not in the pantry make parking spaces like like I'm a big fan of like I use electrical tape in different colors to make literal parking spaces this is where the canned goods go this is where the chips go this is where the cereal go and putting the labels because then even my five-year-old who has rudimentary reading skills I can say go in and get a thing of beans a can of beans for mom right? Or here's the groceries, put them up in the pantry, put them with their matching friends, right? 90% of it may be perfect. The other 10% may or may not be right. And then some of that is then we have to kind of correct like our like, oh, you screwed this up. This is not where this goes. As opposed to thank you so much for putting this up. This is almost in the right spot. Let me show you where I'd really love to see it and why. I love that compassionate that compassionate accountability that you're promoting for the child because you're giving them something that's accessible for them. Right. And they can then grow in their autonomy and their independence along with their interdependence. So it's like right. I'm helping mommy, right? And so I'm feeling good about myself for that, but I'm also feeling good about myself because I'm able to do something because she empowered me to right. be able well, to do that, which I think is great. For the children and for the partners in the house. Sure. And then it's easy to say like, okay, I ordered groceries. Can y'all put them up while I'm making dinner? And so they can now do that with confidence because they do feel empowered. And then that starts taking some of that mental load off because you know, it's going to be done in a way that feels good to you. They know it's going to be done in a way that feels good to you, but they don't have to have that fear looming or that judgment 
And, and, and we have to just acknowledge that like knowing how to organize, knowing how to, to be productive, they're helpful skills, even if we don't like them. It's okay not to like to do it. I may not like to drive long distances, but sometimes I still got to do it. But the other thing is like, we didn't come out of the womb knowing how to drive either, right? So we've got to, we've got to get in a place where we can be taught the skills on how to organize and we can be taught the, the mindset and the, the underpieces of all of that. Because driving is not just about, let me hold the wheel and push the, you know, mash the pedals, right? You've got to be able to, you know, make the decisions and think about like, okay, like, you know, if it's raining, I have to do something different than if it's snowing or if it's a beautiful day. And, you know, that's that mindset piece. Same thing with organizing or any other skill is, you know, we didn't come out of the dang womb knowing how to do it. And you don't have to like it or be particularly good at it. But it is helpful to know how to do it. So, yeah, it's just, you know, understanding where the the, the guilt and shame come from and that they're not yours to own and letting go of the should is so critical. Like anytime you hear yourself say should, it's like, okay, how can I reframe that? I would have liked to have done this and I didn't. And that's okay. And that is the thing that's just like punching me right in the gut right now is it's funny. I I have a new nanny and she's amazing. I love her. And she put the baby's clothes away and it was just not the way I do it. And in my mind, I was like, like, how did you not know how to put these away? It was so glaringly obvious. And I was like, oh, I'm just probably going to have to label things. But then I've also heard my husband be like, I don't know where. And I'm realizing now that it's been projected on me that I should know how to do these things. Mm-hmm. So then I am then projecting it. Like my son and I had a whole meltdown because I wanted him to get the blueberries himself out of it. And I'm realizing as I'm listening to him, like, he doesn't know how to get them out, where to put them. Like, there's no understanding because I'm operating from, well, I had to figure it out. So y'all should be able to figure it out. So I'm like, oh no, these are functional skills that yes, I figured out. But if I really want to empower my children, my nanny, the people who support me, if I want to feel supported, I need to empower them with the tools and the functional skills to actually do it. And just because it was projected on me that I should doesn't mean I need to project it onto other people that they should. So absolutely. Well, and it, and it's not spoon feeding them because I mean, there's still plenty out in the world that we're going to have to just figure out how to do. And it may be that, you know, like I'm going to tell you where to find the blueberries and I'm going to tell you that they need to be washed and that this is a tool you can use to wash them, but I'm not going to show you how to use the tool to wash them. See how you figure that out. And, you know, so leaving a little bit of mystery there. And so, I mean, it can be just really whatever, whatever you want it to be, but taking that mental load off of yourself and Mm -hmm. off of the people who want to support you. 
Oh, that's so rich. Like, just take it off yourself. Don't be victimized that it's been put on you because you actually don't have to take it on if you don't want to. Well, I love how personalized and individualized and fluid you're making the process sound, because I think that also helps people to grab onto things that they're not necessarily comfortable with or that they don't enjoy doing. It's not a high interest activity. So when you say, hey, you can make this fit your needs, you can put connect it to your values. And it doesn't have to look perfect. All of those things open the mind and the spirit up to be like, hey, I think I can do that. That that might work for me. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of, you know, color coding. If if color coding feels overwhelming to you and you prefer things in more binary colors, beautiful, fine, do that. Like it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Do what feels good. And and what? do it in a way that that makes sense for your people. So like, Heather, like you've got little people in your house. So that may mean that your labels have both words and pictures and that your kids help pick out those pictures, right? Like here's three pictures of blueberries or here's three pictures of fruit or trucks or whatever. Which one should we use for the label? It'll help them read. You can color code it. You can even do, you know, like, you know, this one's the red circle and this one's the green triangle and this one's the blue square so as they're sort of in between that that reading phase you know they're still learning things right and then now your husband and your nanny can read the words they don't have to translate the pictures well and just to put get the elephant out of the room too I think that a lot of times for women when they hear about having to do more things like now you have to make labels and now you have to connect pictures and now you so that it, it increases the mental load but that front loading piece when you think about it that then eventually takes away the mental load. So yes, it is a burden at first to do all that front loading, but then in the long run, you have to recognize what the benefits are going to be overall for both yourself and the mental load and also for the people that you care about and and delegating some of that. Absolutely. And, And again, it can be done in little chunks. And, you know, I mean, the, you know, making the labels for kids stuff, for instance, like that can be, you know, that can be an arts and crafts activity. So it's something that you're doing with your kids and it's getting the labels made. And I mean, and we're not talking about like, go make fancy labels, right? If you want to make fancy labels, make fancy labels. If you want to just pull out a Sharpie and a post-it note, that's okay too. Right. And I think like, that's just something I hear in general. Like I coach a lot of entrepreneurs and when it's time to scale their teams, They're like, oh, it's going to take so much time to hire and train people. And it's like, well, you can go on trying to do everything all by yourself overwhelmed and Mm -hmm. always hit that plateau, or you can take that little bit of front loading time, invest in your support structures. And that's the same thing, whether it's organizing a closet, scaling a team, organizing the pantry. It's always about like, what are you more committed to staying stuck in the overwhelm or empowering the support structures? And I really, one of the, I'm going to pivot into some takeaways here. I love that you talked about harmony versus balance. I don't agree with Mm -hmm. balance either, but like, are you more committed to overwhelm and being right that you're under supported or do you want to create the structures that give you that harmony and then we'll give you the space and the freedom. I would love to hear from you, Jennifer, as we're hitting time, What are the takeaways that you want our listeners to really get from all of what you've shared today? I think the biggest thing is that you can do it your own way. 
Like there's no pre-prescribed templated system that's going to work for everybody. And so using that value-based system will help you figure out exactly what you want to do and that it it's your way of doing it. And that's okay. I think the other piece is that getting some skills and deploying those skills, like knowing to sort first, sort and then sort and then sort and sort down to the smallest subcategory and then start going through things, not squirreling, right? Staying in the same space, you know, learning some of those tips and skills are going to make it easier for you to do the work, whether it's organizing or anything else. And so I think it's really so important to know that the, that mindset piece of the value-based decision-making and that it, it is uniquely yours goes hand in hand with learning the skills. Yeah, I love that. I learned so much today. What can we share with our audience? What are you up to? Do you have programs, services? Absolutely. So about every couple of months, I do some fun challenges and it's usually all over social. I've got a free Facebook group that is a beautiful community. It's get organized. And there's always lots of tips and tricks, including Taco Tip Tuesday, which is so much fun, where I go live and I answer questions and give you a tip on, on what we're working on that month. And then to really dig in deeper, to get that accountability, to really be in community and move forward more quickly, right? Anybody who uses a coach dives in deeper, right? You're going to go quicker and deeper. And that space for me looks like my membership. It's called Clear Your Chaos. And it's a beautiful and robust membership that is filled with gorgeous women who just are doing their dang best all the time. And it's just, it's a fabulous space. So there's, there's learning and there's support and there's fun and silliness and and ideas and no shame. And if it feels hard and embarrassing and vulnerable, let's baby step it together, right? You know, you don't have to come on and show me your messy closet if you don't want to, right? But know that when you're ready to do that, we're there to support you and not judge you. So that is how we work together. Thanks, Jennifer. Donna, do you have any last things to add before we wrap today? No, I just want to thank you so very much for bringing your talents and your expertise in this area and all of your wonderful energy and compassion for females, neurodivergence, and people who are otherwise just struggling with getting through this thing called life. So thank you very much for being here today. Absolutely. It was such a delight to be with the two of y'all. Y'all are doing such beautiful work for this community. Oh, thanks, Jennifer. Thank yeah. you really touched by your compassion and your grace and your brilliance because I learned a lot today. So thank, thank you. you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. To register for an upcoming leadership workshop or to learn more about our one-to-one -one coaching and development programs, you can visit us at www.neurodivergentleader.com or follow us on Instagram at neurodivergentleader and check for the links in the bio. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.